Are you looking for an inspiring listen? Something to motivate you? You've come to the right place. Welcome to Women of the Northwest, where we have conversations with ordinary women leading extraordinary lives. Motivating, inspiring, compelling. I'm Jan Johnson, your host. I'm the kind of person who can't sit still, always have to be doing something. I'm just an ordinary woman who has ideas pop into her head and thinks, what's to stop me from doing that? And my preference is to be doing something that affects the life of someone or the community as a whole. It's what brings meaning to my life. And hey, isn't it rewarding to see people smile? Ordinary women leading extraordinary lives. You know those women who everyone knows? The ones that balance a dozen things at once and you can depend on them to not drop the ball? Gals that are not afraid to have an idea and take the next step? Yep, that's the kind of gals I'm talking about. These are the women I'll have conversations with each week, telling their stories and sharing their passions, motivating, inspiring, compelling. Hello, everyone. So glad to be here today with all of you listeners. My guest today is Kim Adams. Hi, Kim. Hello. I met Kim as a photographer who had uh, taken a photo of the Indian that's at the roundabout by in Astoria. And since that was something that my husband orchestrated, I thought, wow, I want that photo. And then we got to talking about all kinds of things, and she's had a pretty interesting life, I think, that you would enjoy listening to. So, Kim, tell me, you were in Katrina. What was that like? Oh, yes. Um, so, in 2005... Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans when I was a sophomore in college. And um, heading out into my junior year, I figured I'd have to find a new place to go to college because it looked pretty bad down there. <laughs> and uh, so that's how I ended up in Oregon was um, I chose to go to school at the U of L um, because I had a really great photography program and all kinds of outdoor things that I just couldn't do in Louisiana. So um, but getting here was a pretty wild story. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I just can't even imagine. I've I've never been in a storm to that extent. Wow. Can you describe that to us? Um, first of all, it was amazing. Like the power of nature that I felt around me was like nothing I've ever seen before. I mean, like leaves were getting smashed up against the window and you could see branches breaking off of trees. Um and then the levee broke very close to where I was living. So there were two levee breaches, mm -hmm. and I was very close to the one that, that broke near Lake Pontchartrain. Mm -hmm. And my university was on Lake Pontchartrain, so it was just flooding right in. Oh, my gosh. It was wild. Yeah. And your heart was beating wildly. And <laughs> um, Weirdly enough, in disasters, I tend to stay calm. I don't know yeah. why. Yeah, when there's something really big happening around me, I tend to stay calm. And it's funny because it's the little stressors that stress me out more. <laughs> yeah. So were you, was somebody with you during that time or you, were you by yourself? Like, um, I was living in an apartment directly across the street from my university and a high school, which was like the high school was between the university and my street. Um, and I had two roommates from India who mm -hmm. were law students. And so they were working in this country. Um, and we were all in the upper floor apartment of a two story building. Oh my gosh. Well, maybe upper floor would be safer. Not so much, not. <laughs> so, so the bottom floor was flooded and we had to actually swim from the stairs. So like about halfway down the stairs, we had to start swimming to get out at one point. But the upper floor was, um, it was safer for about a day. 
And then after the rains came and the floods came, um, and we noticed that the water was sort of rising really quickly. We mm-hmm. we knew something bad was happening when we saw that because um, most people park their cars in the yard when it's going to flood. And my car just started to be like surrounded by water. And so we knew it was getting worse. Um, but what happened was the next day after we slept there, um, thinking, you know, maybe things will get better. The roof started to cave in in several rooms. And oh. we realized the landlord had not taken care of the roof. Um, oh. And it was it was much more rain than usual, but it was a pretty bad, in pretty bad shape. Yeah. So there, the roof over their bedroom caved in first, and then it was the living room, and then we found out later after we left it was the kitchen, oh. and I got really lucky. But my bedroom in the back room that I had my artwork in did not cave in. I was so lucky. Really. <laughs> so. Yeah. Because I'm thinking, okay, if if you're in a fire, you're thinking, what am I going to grab, mm-hmm. right? But if you're in a water-based something, what are you holding everything, everything over your head? Are you throwing it in a plastic bag? What are you doing with your yes. things that you want to keep? Well, that was exactly what my first thoughts were, was um, we need to get out of here. We need to pack what we can take with us, and it's going to be in plastic. Mm-hmm. But before I left, I actually cut open some plastic bags and laid them all over my possessions, and it actually saved them from mold, oh, which really? is amazing. Yeah, so they weren't sitting there soaked with like the wet sheetrock like in other parts yeah. of the apartment. And um, my parents were able to go in and rescue a lot of my things. Wow, that's miraculous. It is miraculous. Yeah, yeah, quick thinking on that one because really, yeah, mold <laughs> destroys completely. And your artwork, what kind of artwork did you have in there? Um, at that point, like um, I took a multidisciplinary approach in college. So I was in illustration classes for several years. Um, I was in printmaking and I was in photography because I wanted to learn all these different things. Mm-hmm. So I had film, I had a film camera. I had one roll of film. I wish I had had more at that time. Um, I had huge portfolios with these illustrations um, in the back room that didn't get destroyed. And some of them I still have. I kept because I really liked them. (laughs) But, I mean, at that point, they were stressing out. And I was like, okay, yeah, we got to get out of here. And so um, I kind of told everybody, I was like, get what you want to bring with you in a backpack, like your most important things and a change of clothes because we're going to get wet. Mm -hmm. And then we put that inside of a plastic bag and then swam out with it. (laughs) (laughs) So as a photographer, were you able to document anything? What I had was literally the roll of film in my camera. What it, Like whatever I had been shooting for class, that yeah. was what I had. Because I, I wasn't like big into stocking supplies if I didn't need them because I didn't have a lot of money. Right. So whatever shots I had left, I used those shots and I got to document literally just like a little bit of the first day. That was all I had. You know, so I, oh, I know, I know. I mean, it's not something that you want to have happen, but mm-hmm. in the moment, how could you take advantage yeah. of it, you know, to be able to. And we, we had cell phones, but back then, this was 2005, so our cell phones were basically just texts. Right. Like they weren't fancy picture camera phones like we have now. So, yeah. um, and I even had to really like uh, parse out when I had my phone on and used it because there was no way to recharge. Right. It. How are you going to yeah. recharge it? Yeah. No, and that was my one line out I had to any family and friends was just being able to text. Yeah. So phone on, text, turn phone off. Yeah. Wait for a reply. Turn phone on. Look for a text. Turn phone <laughs> off. <It was> like, <laughs> <laughs> but eventually, that that did play out into. Um, after a long and interesting survival story, it played out into me getting in contact with a family member whose 
set up a distant family member to come pick us up. And they brought us to Baton Rouge, which is about uh, 90 minutes north. Mm. And so we were able to stay in a dry spot and everybody was able to get to their families and home and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. And you were some of the lucky ones. We were. Right? Because of proximity, I mean, because I lived so close to campus and um, the University of New Orleans is interesting because instead of being like in the middle of town, it was on like what would be like the lip of the bowl because mm-hmm. New Orleans is kind of a dips down and has a, a low, low elevation. Oh, okay. And in some places, it's so low that the water table is like right there mm-hmm. under the dirt. So if, if it rains, there's almost nowhere for the water to go. Yeah, yeah. And it's known for flooding, even just in rains without yeah, hurricanes. Yeah. But uh, but the University of New Orleans was previously a military airbase, so it was flat concrete oh. foundation. So it had been built up, and it was right near the levee, so it was all like higher ground. Yeah. And it actually didn't flood. Huh. Even though my street flooded and the high school front yard flooded, the university didn't, didn't flood. So I was able to swim from uh, my apartment across the front yard of that high school, uh, the high school, and into my university. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow! Wow! Yeah. Huh. And that's kind of providential that, yeah, that that could be your spot, you know, and at least a spot of safety at that time. Yeah. yeah. And have you since gone back? Yeah, many times. I mean, even um, after spending two semesters in Oregon, I had to go back because I was too much shy of residency and mm-hmm. I was going to be charged uh, the full rate of tuition. And at the time, I was really looking to get out of college without debt. So I said, well, I'll go back to New Orleans. Um, so I did. And then I was able to see like how they spray painted all the houses with the X's and the date that they were there and if there was anybody found inside and things like that. Uh-huh. And it looked really surreal because a lot of the neighborhood that I lived um, in – along the lakefront just had so many X's and so many vacant homes. Wow. And there were other parts. That would be really kind of gut-wrenching, I think. And also kind of scary because, like, you know, what happens at night when nobody's around? It's kind of a free-for-all for people to loot. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, was, it felt kind of dangerous and a little spooky, you know, like, mm-hmm. where did everybody go? So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of otherworldly. Otherworldly, yeah, definitely. It was like a that end of the world type of feeling. <laughs> so, yeah. Hmm. But so you're able to get out and to a safe spot. And how did that bring you to Oregon? Um, well, so I chose the U of O because of the photography program and I really wanted to be in a place where I could experience more outdoors and mountains and beaches and stuff. Um But at the time, um, I had found a university that was offering in-state rates to what they called refugees, and I was a refugee. And apparently, uh there was a list of about 50 or so universities in the country, and University of Oregon was on the list. And I was like, that's where I want to (laughs) go. So was the one in Corvallis. I can't remember. Is that OSU? OSU, yeah. So OSU and the U of O were both offering refugees an in-state rate, which was wonderful. Yeah. Um, So I took advantage of it and kept going to school. I didn't miss a day of school between Katrina and the beginning of the semester. (laughs) (laughs) That is amazing. Really amazing. Yeah. So then you kept right on track. To, to be able to graduate and to, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the hurricane was in August and school started in September in Oregon. So it's like a month later here. Mm-hmm. So I was able to just find a place to live. Um, there was a student whose mother was looking for like a roommate for her daughter at a condo that she had bought and she mm-hmm. couldn't find a roommate. And so that she just me, set me, me set me right up and I got myself a room and a bicycle and I would just bike to campus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was awesome. Did you receive um, some kind of benefits or anything support from Louisiana? Or? Um, 
not from Louisiana, but from FEMA. So I had to go through a lot of documentation. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to take pictures of uh, what the flood that I sent. And then when my parents went in to pick up the rest of my belongings, they took pictures. So we compiled those pictures and sent them into FEMA. And FEMA was reimbursing people for lost possessions and things like that. So I lost my car. And I had the value of my car mm-hmm. um, reimbursed, and it was not a very expensive car. I think it was me. Darn. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, it was a used car. I was I was in college, but they reimbursed me for my used car and then f- for some of the things I lost. And I think in the end it was around like $6,000, but that was a lot of money for me. You know, working and going to college, that was a lot of money to be had at once. Right. Well, 2005, that yeah. was a long, you know, yeah. the economy was a little better than now, right? A <laughs> But I made a conscious decision to not buy another car and just ride a bike because I was like, well, I'm in this perfect town for biking. Why not? And so I was able to have a much more comfortable um, junior year going into my senior year um, and just kind of focus more on my school, which I really appreciated, like that buffer Mm -hmm. a lot. And um, I don't think I had a day job that that year that was my goal was to like focus right before I graduated and so um so I'd go to campus at night um I would use like the photo lab when I could when Uh I can get in there um and I would just make art in whatever studio I can get into and it helped me practice and practice more yeah yeah yeah, so that I mean, that was just uh, an overall great experience, and it was great. The segue to be to be able to have that space to yeah, yeah. It was awesome. Oh, that's awesome, and um, and so yeah, you like hiking and biking and yeah. So the closeness to the beach was great. Like, um, I first started uh, camping on the beach in Florence with my friends, and I just totally fell in love with being in Oregon. Um, we would go to rivers and we'd jump off waterfalls and like all this stuff I had never done before. And I was like, I am an Oregonian. I don't want to leave now. <laughs> it was great. Hi, the Oregon's a pretty dandy state. I mean, there's so much available to do, especially if you like the or- outdoors. There's so, so many beautiful places and such a diversity of landscape in Oregon. You know, Eastern Oregon is so different from the West and you got the beaches, and you got rivers, and you got mountains, and, you know, it pretty much has it all, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really beautiful. Yeah. So. <laughs> and so now you're continuing doing your art. Talk to us a little bit about what kind of art you're doing, your photography and other things. Okay. So um, I, as of this year and the last few years, I've focused mostly on outdoor photography, Um, Even though I do some illustration and sometimes I do graphic design using my illustration, those things are more for like people I know and like friends and stuff. Um, I don't do it as often, but mostly what I do is I shoot uh, as I hike either coastal scenes or mountain areas. And then I sell prints of that like traditional artists do, but I also design different products with my images. Like I think some of my best shots go onto cards um, and then some other shots that look good in like a square format go on to coasters. So like I just take like my favorites that are the most, um, what is the word, like printable, I guess, yeah. um, good composition um, and all that stuff. So I try to design products and then I sell those products to stores who then sell them to the public. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. I am, there's no middleman. There's just me designing and creating and hand making some of my stuff um, and then just selling it out putting a lot out into the world in, you know, quantity. So. It's kind of rewarding, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I knew, 
I knew I wanted to do creative work, but I mean, just being young, like a teenager or in college, I didn't know how to make that work. Like, mm -hmm. how, how do you do that? And it seems like a pipe dream. And I'm sure a lot of parents get scared. They're like, oh, no, my kid wants to be an artist. They're not going to make any money. But it, like, it really can be done. Yeah. Well, and it's easier now. I mean, because there's so many online options, Shopify or, yeah, Etsy and different things that are available yeah. to people to be able to sell their works where they couldn't have done that before. Yeah. But I, I think the most important thing is having diversified income. So like, um, not just relying on Etsy, not just relying on like a gallery to sell your work. It's it's shooting in a bunch of different areas and um, putting yourself out there because you it's much easier to get discovered if you're vocal about what you do instead of waiting for someone to just find you online. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think, um, you know, do you do some things that match up, for example, uh, maybe some of your photography are things that could be in the store for Fort Clatsop or for other national parks or different kind of things? Um, there was one time when I was in the – which is the one with the Lewis and Clark Fort? Fort Clatsop, yeah. Okay, sorry. Uh, Fort Clatsop uh, at one time did carry some of the stuff that I designed. Mm -hmm. um, and, the I mean, things just tend to shift around with what people want or what's selling. Like right. what's selling often determines if I'm in a store or not. Um but I think in the future, I have an idea of how I'd like to work with more of the state parks, but it's kind of like a retirement plan. It's not like right now. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just because, I mean, kind of my idea is since I don't have any kids and I'm now 41, my idea is if there's nobody to like pass these photos onto in my family, I think it'd be really cool to like give them to these state parks and allow them to somehow profit off of them to create funds to maintain the park because parks seem to be underfunded. Right. And I know rescue operations are very expensive mm -hmm. and maintenance and keeping personnel. And so I was thinking like maybe that's the way it can kind of give back to like all hikers and not yeah. just like yeah. one single child. And I feel like that's huge. And it, it's a, I hope I get to do that. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think when you think about like who other places where you can sell your things, you know, I mean, you can get into all kinds of, I mean, the Maritime Museum, you pictures of boats or things that are, you know, <laughs> if it's, you know. Um, this coming month, February, I'm going to have my first published photo in a regional magazine, which is really cool. Oh, um, the, in the state of Oregon, we have 1859 and 1889 magazines, which are the state magazines. And they promote like recreation and travel and events and different things going on in both states. And so um, the 1889 magazine will have like a full page image next coming up in February. Which is exciting. That is super exciting. Oh, yeah, really exciting. Yep. Yeah, your claim to fame. <laughs> I mean, I had to work for it. Like, I didn't wait for them to, like, find me. I wrote emails, and I feel like we established a relationship. Val, that is really exciting. What other kind of things are you involved in? Um, at this time, um, I have been a volunteer for the Wildlife Center of the North Coast for a few years. Um, and what I do is volunteer rescue and transport. And so far it's only been birds, but we do take other small animals. Um, nothing that's going to like bite us, stomp us, like <laughs> pretty much give us rabies, but like we, we will take in birds and small mammals. Um, and all that happened, uh, because a few years ago I got a commission for the Columbia Memorial hospital to do some 
uh, photographs in their permanent oh, collection. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to do was try to represent like local, local culture um, and the outdoors and sort of bring it into the hospital because that's what we know and see around us. Right. And, and one of the um, ideas I had was to go to the wildlife center and do a picture of one of the birds. Yeah. I mean, that was way before I was a volunteer. <laughs> And they had this cute little American kestrel called Flynn, and he was a resident. And the resident birds can't be released because of a non-healing injury. Okay. But they were well enough to keep as education birds. Okay. And so Flynn was like their main education bird at the time. And there's a picture of Flynn right when you walk into the primary care clinic. Oh. And they let me put like a little um, – a little bit of information on the wall next to it that refers people people to the wildlife center and lets them know like what it's all about, what's going on in the picture. And so hopefully it creates awareness that, you know, we have a place that can take care of birds if they find one hit right. by a car or whatever. Right. Yeah. Do they only do birds? Um, they can take small animals like chipmunks, mm. little things. Uh-huh. Um, I don't think they take raccoons. They don't take deer. Um, of course, we're not going to take anything huge and dangerous. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, Josh Sarampa grew up in Brownspeed. Oh, he did. Too. Okay. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Yeah. How, how big is that center? Um, I don't know the acreage, but I volunteered to do landscaping for a year there, and so I know it's pretty huge, <laughs> and there's a lot that needs to be done. So, I mean, even if somebody doesn't work with the animals, they could always use help with that kind of mm-hmm. thing, too. Um, but one of my favorite parts was going into the aviaries where the birds kind of practice their flying again. Yeah. Before they're released into the wild, they need to make sure that their flight patterns are healthy. And mm-hmm. and so I was in there helping trim trees and clear out like fern fronds that had, you know, turned brown the year before and just make it nice for the birds to be in there. Huh. That's fascinating. That's out on 202, right? Um, it's very, very close to the Olney Saloon. Okay. All right. I have never been out there, so I'll have to yeah. well, it's take not, a visit. It's not a public, really it's not a public facility because it's nonprofit and they care for the animals, but they do have an open house once a year. Oh, okay. And they, I think they even have a plant sale. So I think there's twice a year where you can go and see. And, and then you can see all their resident birds. Like there's a cormorant and there's a, a tiny western screech owl mm-hmm. there. It's incredibly cute. <laughs> so you should definitely go to the open house and then it's a way to actually donate because you can drop some money in the box or buy a plant and then like all the proceeds from the sales of the plants and stuff go to, you know, paying uh, for the medical needs of the animals. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of fun. Well, yeah, it suits, so it, it suits your need to be a part of doing something for your community, but also, you know, you've got that photographer's eye all uh, <laughs> always... Some of my favorite pictures are of the birds I've shot. Like, um, I've gotten really lucky and I have some good raven photos and I have an amazing photo of a red uh, tailed hawk taking flight on the Columbia River, like just as its claws are releasing this piece of driftwood and its wings are fully open. It's so pretty. (laughs) And so like, I feel like if I'm photographing the birds, I want to also see them safe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, what a delightful, um, you've chosen a nice path, I think. And I think any kind of a path that's creative is definitely the best path (laughs) in my mind. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I mean, I can't say people are necessarily unhappy because they choose to go very linear, but like my path has not really been linear, even though it's had a theme. And I think that diversity is making it very interesting. And I like, I like things that 
uh, present challenges and new things because it makes life fun. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and creativity does that because it always spurs to one next thing, you know, or, yeah, I mean, you can do the same thing. Like you could even take one of your photographs and re-represent it a dozen different ways to, you know, so it's never stuck in the look. Oh, I have a great word for that. I learned in listening to a podcast on uh, managing your money wisely. It's yeah. called scalable income. So whenever an artist takes something they've created, whether it's like a photograph or an illustration, and they sell it again and again as a card and as a print, and they sell the original, it's called Mm -hmm. scalable income because you're increasing your sales of a single item. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) And it's the same idea, you know, of where else can I center this or, you know, what's the right audience for it or the whatever. So, Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've made a nice uh, life for yourself, it looks like. <laughs> this is great. Um, I will put in the show notes uh, the way to get hold of Kim Adams. So if you want to get to her website and look at the amazing things that she's doing or be in contact with her, I'm sure she would like to make that connection with you as well. Yes. <laughs> so thank you, Kim. Okay, thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this or any other of my podcast episodes, it would be amazing if you would take a few minutes to leave a review so others can find it. Transcripts are available on my website at jan-johnson.com. Please join me again next week.